Amen. Well, I have a question. How many of you like mysteries? Any of you? Yeah? You like mysteries? So, name, name a favorite mystery. Just go ahead. Anybody? Ooh, Agatha Christie. All right. I'm going to ruin all Agatha Christie moments. The butler did it. Okay, there you go. The mystery's gone. It's always the butler. What, um, what is it about mystery that's intriguing? You know, there's an element of mystery about you, you just don't know. And you get tied into it. You want to know, right? You want to know. What is it that's so mysterious about God? You know, we had a great interactive time last week and I got some information back that you love that. So this is a time where we can, it's not a rhetorical question. So you can, you can interject here. What is so mysterious about God? Just throw some things out here. The Trinity. She has not seen my notes, folks. Actually, you might have seen the sermon notes. Okay, very good. And by the way, please take out those sermon notes. We've got a lot for you today. What else? What else is mysterious about God? You can be specific. His will. Right. I heard something else. That He's eternal. He's eternal. Now here's what's mysterious. Can you relate to the fact that He's eternal? And yet, you will be eternal. Hmm. That's mysterious. But that's for another message. What else? What else is mysterious about God? All-powerful. Right? How many have heard the argument, can God make a rock too big that He can't lift? Okay, that person should be struck with lightning, okay? Because that's just ridiculous. Yeah, we don't get into those syllogisms because they're, they're, it's, it's flawed logic. But when you think about the power of God, how tremendous that is, we're limited, aren't we, in truly understanding the scope of that power. And yet that power is waiting for us. How many of you have known an incredibly stubborn person you could never have the power to change their mind? All right, careful husbands and wives. All right. Yeah, Austin's like, I, I know somebody, I know somebody. All right, here's what's fascinating. You're right, you may never be able to change their mind, but guess who could? God. God could. Let's throw up my, uh, my PowerPoint and we'll start working through this. Take out your notes, and as we get ready to look at the essentials, we're in the essentials series we're talking about the Trinity. And we're going to do it over the next two weeks. I tried to pack this into one week. There's no way. It's impossible. It's actually, you, you could probably spend uh, three months on the Trinity and still not gather or garner everything that you need. So this morning, we're going to start in Matthew. And this is going to helpfully clarify some of what we're talking about with the, uh, the idea of the Trinity. This is going to be our key verse. Now, Many of you understand the Trinity. Many of you have been taught in the Trinity. Many of you hold the belief of the Trinity. And yet, there are challenges to understanding and knowing um, how all of that works together. And so this morning, Samuel, I have no... We're having a little bit of problem with our computer this morning. So, um, bear with us. It needs a Holy Spirit healing here. And uh, so, Samuel, just go ahead and click. I'm going to... You, you do it. And I'll give you the high sign. I'll let the Holy Spirit tell you when to click forward, okay? All right, so we're working on this. This morning, as we look at the Trinity, we're going to have to break it down into some concepts. 
Now, there are so many different ways to approach this, so just bear with me as we work through it the way I've chosen to pull things together. Uh, I, like to, I like to deal with it from the concept that you would be looking at it, all right? So we're going to start with, with a, a concept of a polemic, but let's look at the verse first. So Samuel, let's, let's click forward. So Matthew 28, 18 through 19 says this, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I want you to think about that statement. Just dwell on it for about five seconds. Then he continues to say to his disciples, he gives them an imperative. This is not passive language. This isn't, hey, if you get around to it. Right? What he says is he says, go. He says, go, therefore, and make what? Disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the what? The Holy Spirit. Now, we usually kind of focus on that whole part. You've heard so many messages about discipleship. And you've heard us talk about baptism. That that baptism is this step of obedience. Even Jesus did this in obedience to the Father. And that it is part of our process. It's one of the first things we should be doing as a believer in Jesus Christ. We should be practicing this ordinance of baptism in our own life. We should be going out and making disciples. And so that's our theme this year, discipleship. And you can see the lights that are a result of that. And and there's so much more beyond that. There's so much more beyond what we have on stage. So we're we're making this effort, and, and by whose authority do we do this? In the name of whom? The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now we're used to hearing that. We've, we've wrestled with that a lot. But how many of us, it really resonates the first part? And Jesus came and said to them what? All what? Authority. Now Pastor Jeremy, why are you taking so much time on this? Because I think that that word really is the pivot point as to whether or not you believe in the Trinity or not. I think it is the pivot point to truly understanding why the Trinity has to be the Trinity. Now I'm going to ask you a question. You ready? Where, or or let's preface it a little bit. When I say Christmas, what do you think of? Feedback, feedback. Birth of Jesus, birth of Christ. That is, in fact, found in Luke chapter 2. It's a biblical concept, isn't it? The birth of Christ is not a biblical concept. So the birth of Christ is a biblical concept. When I asked you what Christmas meant, you said what? You said the birth of Christ. Show me the word Christmas listed anywhere in... It's not there. So let's just get over it. Don't you just hate those people? Right? Okay, if you're not understanding what I'm saying, we'll ramp it up. You ready? Um, when I say Easter's, okay, only like three people understand why I said it that way. I just wanted to test y'all. When I say Easter, what do you think of? Resurrection, Christ rising from the dead. What else? What else do you think of? Bunnies. (laughs) There it is. Bunnies. Well, VeggieTales made a song called I Love the Bunny, so it must be godly. 
No. What, what was the first two to three answers that we got on Easter? It was what is found in the latter chapters of the Synoptic Gospels. The story of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's precious. It is everything to us. So when you say Easter, you know what that means contextually. Show me the word Easter in Scripture. Now some of you are really brilliant and you, you're, this is why you love mysteries. You already know where I'm going with the subtext, don't you? You know where I'm going with... Oh, this is fun. I can tell who out there right now by your expressions. Who loves mysteries? So you know where I'm going with this, right? And what word is not found in Scripture? Trinity. So therefore, it's a non-biblical concept, right? Let's go to the next slide. Here's our polemic. When we talk about the Trinity, why is it essential that we understand the Trinity the way that it is explained? Because we have to hold to the Word of God. We have to hold to what God says about Himself. He describes Himself this way in Scripture. Now we have to work through it because you're right. You're not going to go and find the word Trinity there. It is just a contextual word that Christendom came up with around the 4th century and it's been used ever since. It's like how many of you believe in the rapture? Go ahead, raise your hand. We want to know who's going to leave early. Alright? So i got two great dispensationalists in the back of the room right there. Fantastic, Jay. Alright? By the way, great to see Jay, Jay and his wife here. Alright? Now, J is the word rapture in Scripture. Not in English, anyway. Right? But the concept is found in there. So can we please not be that guy? So if somebody comes to you and says that argument, here's the argument, the polemic is an argument, it's a visceral argument. Right? The word Trinity doesn't appear in the Bible, so therefore it can't be a true thing. Right? No. Walk them through it like I just walked us through. Next point. Well, what else? Well, you've got you know, so many people who love Jesus Christ, who love God, who have devoted their lives towards living a moral and, and faithful life. Here's the problem. They have the wrong view of who Jesus is. And we'll explain why that's important. So the concept of the Trinity, folks, is essential, right? It is essential. I had a, 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 a professor in seminary that said, you don't mess with the kenosis. Now, most of the people in the room don't know what that means, but the, the same idea. You don't mess with who Jesus says He is, with who God says He is. And there's a reason we are compelled to do it. That's what I want to bring out today. Okay? Why are we in this conundrum where we have an argument, a polemic? Why are people always attacking this concept of the Trinity? Because if I can defend... Just go to our political scheme. I did it. You're right. I just went there. But look, look at who we are as people. If we can take away the character of something, if we can undermine that, then we can twist it and contort it into whatever we desire. We see it all around us. So if those who do not appreciate how God explains Himself, how He truthfully reveals Himself, if there's some problem in there with them, what are they going to do? They're going to change it. 
They're going to change it to serve their own purposes. Folks, this is not unique to the Trinity, but you cannot mess with the Trinity. It's like somebody getting married to an individual that they thought they understood, and later on they find out that person's nothing like what I thought. And and, and in fact, it becomes a deal breaker for them. I mean, that's a little punch, right? That's a little reality shock. Folks, I can't punch you hard enough on this point. That if we don't get the Trinity right, if we don't get the Godhead right, our eternal salvation is at stake. That's why this is essential. Let's go to the next point. Why do we have this argument? Why am I saying this is important? Because this whole concept's been under attack since the 4th century. And I'm not going to go through all the names. You're, you're going to forget the names, so I'm, I don't go those routes, okay? You don't need to know all that. You can research it, but just know, since the 4th century in the church, they've been arguing this and punching it and defending it. So let's go to the next point. Here's something I found on the internet. Really? Nothing? The internet, you know, that, that vestige of truth. But I was reading on a thread, on a, on a message board, by someone, we, I was researching the Trinity, and this was their response as to why the Trinity doesn't work for them. Here, here's an interesting idea. So this is just one thought. This is one of those arguments out there against how God describes himself. No, God, you don't know yourself. Don't describe yourself that way because I know better. And he says what? So he says, he's quoting someone, a professor, and he says, Borg argues at times that magical thinking is not necessary to be a Christian. And in fact... Here it comes. We cannot easily give our heart to something that our mind rejects. This is tantamount to the true problem of faith and Christianity and the attack on Christianity. And has always been that way. We want to take a form of something and say that this is, but it's a cheap substitute. It's a cheap substitute. Can you name Jesus as Lord without some kind of magical thinking? Now you're thinking, okay, that's a trick question, Pastor. I don't know what he meant by magical thinking. Let me supplant that that phrase with just one word. Faith. Can you have a relationship with Jesus Christ without faith? Yes or no? It is impossible to please God without what? without faith it is impossible so the idea of the trinity we don't even need to get to the second part of this individual's phrasing because they're saying what they're saying that magical thinking is not necessary to be a christian all of this leaked in recently with what's called naturalism and here's where the church lost it just one of the times where the church lost it You see, when the sciences came in and Darwin came in and Jung came in and and all of that was exploding throughout our society, suddenly there was a challenge about logical thought and naturalistic thought and rational thought that was working against faith. And what happened is there's a transition in the thinking of society where they said what? They said, unless it can be proven and it's empirical, you're a fool. Because everybody was celebrating sciences. And they're seeing all of these things that God instituted, by the way, and they're feeling what? They're feeling pretty good about themselves, that they're getting smarter and smarter and smarter. You know what? They're just realizing what God created, created, created. 
That's the reality. But what happens with this kind of thinking is that the church then came under attack because if you become rational, there's no room for what? For faith. If you become rational, there's no room for faith. Here's what's so fantastical. That's a Jer word. Here's what's so fantastical about that concept. How many of you heard the concept of dark matter? Anybody? Right? It's in your kids' science books. Do you know what's required in order to speak to dark matter? Faith. It's not provable. Now they see the evidences that speak to this idea and so they come up with theories that it's got to be out there, it's got to exist because these, these things working together have to come into this kind of result. The challenge here is this thinking. He says we cannot easily give our heart to something that our mind rejects. There it is. Next point. This is why we have a challenge with the Trinity. By Manny. We love Manny. Why can't we accept this? God describes Himself, what? As three in one within the pages of Scripture. This is how God describes Himself. We can't accept it because we can't grasp it. Right? God describes Himself as one. You will have no other gods before Me. I am one. This is part of the, the, the Old Testament. This was the relationship, the covenant between God and, and His people. This is the Shema. Right? And they would repeat it over and over. The Lord your God is what? Three! That's what they said all the time, right? They said one! And it's part of their thinking. And so automatically, Judaism has a problem with this idea of a triune God. So wait, the math doesn't work, right? Unless you're really bad at math. It does work. Next point. Well, let me give you an apologetic. An apologetic is simply a defense of something. Here we go. What does this look like? Well, let's use deductive reasoning. Turn to Mark 14, if you will. Now remember, we're not going to get too far away from that Matthew passage. We'll come back to it because everything hinges on that first phrase. Do I still have you? Are you still with me? So what we're trying to do is we're trying to say, why do we have the problem? Why is the essential doctrine of the Trinity attacked? And why do we truly need to understand it? So we we see some examples of that, right? Is it you've got this idea, this concept, if you're thinking from a Judaistic viewpoint, and this is where the church got a little confused, was the Lord describes Himself as one. So therefore, how can He be three? Some of the other problems are is that trying to get our mind wrapped around how God describes Himself in this relationship with three is problematic. It's very challenging to say God is one and yet He's three at the same time. That doesn't work up here. And that's what that quote was speaking to. So what do we do? Well, we have to answer that. And the only way that I know to do that is, is there proof? Is there proof that Jesus is God? Is there proof that Father... You know, I don't think anybody's going to argue that they believe the Father is God or that the Holy Spirit is God. So let's start breaking it down. Let's start looking at a defense. So Mark 14, and by the way, I'm not going to give you my words. I'm going to give you the words straight out of the account. And, and as we get there, I just want to share with you real briefly how I use this. I, I, I drove home, drive my kids to school the first year we arrived here. And there was a group of people, very well dressed, standing in the middle of my street around the drain hole. And they were holding hands and praying. 
And I didn't know if they were trying to heal the sewer system. I didn't know what was going on for sure, but I knew more than likely what was coming to my door. And so sure enough, I heard a, a knock, knock, knock. Now let me describe to you what I looked like at, at 7.30 in the morning when I drive my kids to school. Um, we move out of the idea and concept of a mystery into horror. All right, that's all you need to know on that level. So, as, and go to <clears throat> verse 62 and 63. We'll get to that in a second. Sure enough, I had this knock on my door, and I was kind of prepping in my mind. It was a group of individuals that don't believe in the Trinity, don't believe that Jesus is divine. All right? And in their good hearts, they want me to believe in God. That's fantastic. I can admire them for that. Now, when they knocked, I was wearing gym shorts and a hoodie. I hadn't brushed my teeth yet. My hair was all over the place. I hadn't shaved. And so, yeah, you're right. I was pretty much looking good. I opened the door, and they have nice smiles on their faces, and they greet me, and, and they say, we would love to share with you a little bit about God. Can we do that? I said, you know what? Before you do that, I have a question. Okay, and the, now they're really excited because it shows I want to engage with them. And I said, let's just say that I got a little disillusioned with this whole religion thing. Now that's hypothesis, right? You're hearing that in my tone? Just so we know at the end of the story that you don't feel your pastor lies blatantly to people. So I said, let's just say I got a little disillusioned with religion. And I decided you know what? I'm going to start my own religion. Would you be okay with that? And they looked at each other because they don't have these conversations. This one's off the script. And so the more experienced person looked at me and said, well, no, of course not. And I said, well, um, let's just say that there's things that I found in religion that were hurtful. And I had problems with it. And so I kind of wanted to go make my own. And, and so I took some of this, and I took some of this, and I took some of this. You'd be okay with that, right? Because trying to find... No, you can't really do that. And so I said very calmly to them, I said, do you know a man named Charles Taze Russell? And they, and they said, Yeah. And I said, so let me reveal to you, I'm a pastor and I know a lot about, I'm an evangelical pastor, I know a lot about the founding of your faith. And if you're not aware, that's exactly what this gentleman did. But you just said, that's not okay. And they're standing there, well, but we'd like to talk to you about God. And let me show you this pamphlet. And I said, look, let me just take you to Mark 14. Can we just go there? And they had a little panicked look on their face because this isn't part of their script. The question in mind is Jesus God. Okay? Here's my apologetic. Here's my defense. This isn't my statement. I turned to them. I said, these are not my words. I'm going to borrow. And I actually said, how would you feel about if we had an eyewitness that was there? Not you, not me, not our opinion because we both know we have separate opinions. They said, well, how are you going to get a witness? I said, it's right here. It's recorded. It's right from a witness that was there. I'm going to use their words because that works in the court of law. And they said, well, I guess. Okay, sure. And so I went to this verse. You're in 62 of, of verse 14. I'll actually back it up. 
Jesus is before the high priest, and the high priest says, I'll start 61, but he remained silent, he being Jesus, and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Wow, that sounds pretty good, right? That's pretty good stuff. And up to that point, those that are standing at my threshold of my door would say, yeah, I I agree with that. And I said, well, let's keep reading. Let's see what the witness had to say. Not your opinion, not my opinion. Let's see what the witness had to say. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. The high priest, the ruling authority of that day, said, upon penalty of death, the whole reason Jesus was able to legally be put on a cross. That's not, that, that's just a side comment. But the whole reason legally they could do that was because the high priest declared he is claiming to be God. By the way, Jesus specifically used these words, I am, which is out of Exodus 3, where God describes himself as the I am. There is no doubt. He left no doubt. He left no consideration to the point of knowing this would put him on the cross. And he said, I am the Christ. That promptly ended my conversation with my two visitors. And I don't know what happened to them this, to this day. But if we're going to talk about deductive reasoning, do you see what I just did? It's not my opinion versus your opinion. Let's go to the eyewitness account. And let's see what actually happened. And let's reason through that, right? People love reasoning. Let's reason through that. Next point on this apologetic. By the way, you can get all the reasoning taken care of. You still have to have what? You still have to have faith. So if this Berg or Borg or Schmerg or whatever that guy was that talks about magical thinking, have no problem just telling him, yeah, it's pretty hard stuff to get your mind wrapped around. But I see the evidence of the Father. I see the evidence of the Son. I see the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it has to be, and I have to place my faith in that. Just because I don't fully understand doesn't mean it isn't this way. Next point. The finite understanding the infinite. This is a challenge. Let's go to this verse. Here we go. Romans eleven thirty three through 34 By the way, do you have a problem understanding the depth of who God is? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of you are really lazy or just out and out rebellious. Okay, because none of you fully understand God. And yet, we look at ourselves, our reasoning, our rationality, and we say what? I am so smart that if I can't fully comprehend it, it therefore cannot what? Exist. We have a word in English for that. It's called idiot. No. It's called arrogance. It's called arrogance. Now, I love this passage. This is a quote from the Old Testament. 
It says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how unscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? And there's other verses that keep going with that that are just tremendous. But we're just going to focus on these. Next slide. Watch. This is what I want you to focus on. Here we go. Unsearchable. This is how God describes Himself. Now, does that mean you'll never find God? That's not what He's saying. He's saying, I am infinite, you are finite. Do not think you can fully comprehend who I am. Paul says, now we see dimly, but when we are face to face, then we will see what? We will see in full. So there has to be faith here. You see my point? The apologetic is we can rationally look at the way God describes Himself, and we can say by eyewitness account, Jesus claimed to be God, so therefore we got two out of three so far, right? But then let's go to the point of faith because we can't just sit on this side of the scale. We've got to talk about faith as well. And does that make me some fool? No, it doesn't make you a fool. We all respond in faith. But God said what? He would be contradicting Himself if He made it so that you and I did not have to respond in faith on this issue. So if I have to look and say, I have to fully know God in order for Him to be as He describes Himself, then I am simply arrogant. Because God says what? I am unsearchable. What else? Inscrutable in His ways. That means perfect. Without criticism. Without criticism. Isn't it amazing how man thinks that he can criticize how God has set things up? And now, right now, let me tell you what's happening in your mind. Here's the mystery. I unfolded the mystery, right? I know who did it at the end. You did it. I did it. And here's why I say that. Because you're thinking about somebody else when I say that statement. How many times do we question God because of what's happening in our life? God, you don't know what you're doing. God, are you kidding me? You've asked us to break into the next era for our church and it's time for us to separate a 27-year relationship with the school. Are you kidding me? Oh, and at the same time, you're going to take our children's director. Oh, and at the same time, you're going to take our worship leader. Oh, and at the same time, you're going to take our youth pastor. God, you really messed this one up. Now, that's, that's just my world. What's in your pocket? Right? See, we want to say somebody else is thinking those things, but I look at this verse and I say God's ways need to become my ways. Next slide. In wrapping up, here's your apologetic. Romans 8, 9-11. through We'll come back to this next week, but I want you to see where is it that you see someone that's part of the Trinity. Just say stop. I'm going to start reading this. You, however, not are in the, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Okay, that would have been a good place to say stop. Let's try this again. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You guys are so smart. If in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, this is not going to work very well, uh, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Thank you, Hanny. That was good and firm. One of our elders right there. By the way, did you notice that Paul talks about the Spirit of God and then in the same sentence he says the Spirit of what? Christ. And he also started with just the Spirit. 
I don't need to keep going. I, I, I can, but I don't need to keep going because Paul's just referred to all three. He's referred to the Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, and that's not his main premise in this verse. You see, the early church who walked with Christ, who saw Him, who knew, who watched what happened at Pentecost, who knew God's power, who fully understood the Father and the Scriptures, those individuals see God as one, but working through three distinct roles. That we'll get to next week. Next slide. So we move out of the apologetic into the important. So, Look, here's the mystery, right? Christmas, Easter, Festivus, okay? Do you know why I do that? Because not everybody thinks the way you think. So as you hear certain spontaneous bouts of laughter hit in the room, I'm trying to wake those people up. Most of you are tracking perfectly. As we think in those terms, rapture and trinity, and you know that, and we say, okay, that's not there. It is there, and so we've got to wrestle with it. We've got to start saying, okay, where's the argument? We showed you where the argument was. Now we started talking about the defense against that argument that was not complete at all. But at least helps you study and understand how you provide a defense where just even one verse, the, the Mark 14. Then you can go to the Romans 8. You don't have to keep providing more and more and more. Just sit right there. That's good enough. Not only that, think about our original verse. Did you lose track of it? What was our original verse? Matthew 28. Anybody know the verse? It'll come up. So here's why this is important. Now, most of the time when you get teaching on the Trinity you're not going to hear this stuff from the pulpit. They just assume you know it's important. I don't like glossing over that. Because this is where it it goes from here, just thinking cerebral exercises, right, to here. And guys, if if our belief system doesn't get to here, it's really not worth much. So let's talk about why this is important. Because that question is going to come up. That's where you start breaking down walls is why things are important, and how do you wrestle with that? Well, I listed a scripture, Matthew 16, right? And these are Jesus' words, and he says what? He says, who, for whoever would save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world, and what? Forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What's at stake? Our soul. Jesus' words, not mine. Jesus' words. Let's keep going. Next slide. John 14, 6. Jesus says this. By the way, John 14 is a great passage on the Holy Spirit and, and Christ. So just mark that down in your notes. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Love those bumper stickers coexist. Love it. Because it shows just the beautiful ignorance of us as people. I guarantee you the people that put those bumper stickers on their cars have the greatest of intentions. They want peace to exist. They want love to exist. But that's like saying, I want peace and love to exist at the political debates. It's not going to happen. 
The only way that happens is if both parties throw away their what? Convictions. Well, that's a little hard when it comes to faith, isn't it? That's the whole point of faith, is to reside in your conviction. And any Jew, any Christian, any Muslim, and I don't know what the fourth thing is in there. Maybe it is. They're going to tell you that their doctrine says they don't coexist. If you find someone who really understands that. Jesus Himself, not me, Jesus says, I, not we, not a collective thinking, not an egalitarian approach. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody is going to get to the Father except through me. Next, next verse. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Our eternal life with God. The Godhead. Heaven. It happens through one person. That's Jesus. If that happens through Christ and not a man, what's that say about the authority of Jesus Christ? What's that say about the divinity of Jesus Christ? You have a a pamphlet, um, a breakout sheet in your, um, in your bulletin. Now, if you read the header, somebody asked me last week, Pastor, I'm looking at this. It doesn't say what book this is in. Read the header. It says all of these verses are in the book of John. And all of these verses speak to the divinity, that which is shared by God. Not us, but the divinity. And it goes through and gives you example after example after example of where it's with the Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. These are the evidences that they share that commonality. And only those three. So if God wants to separate Himself for purposes, for roles, and we'll get into that next week, right? That's for Him to decide. But yet He can still be one. You see, none of those functional roles, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, or the Father, can work outside of one another. They cannot deny the other. They have to work with each other because they are what? Because they are one. This is why it's important. Next slide. So Luke 23.35, And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ God, His chosen one. Why would I list that verse? Because in that moment, at the foot of the cross, Jesus' power is being challenged. Do you see that? It's being challenged. It's being scrutinized. How inscrutable are His ways? This will never stop. So when you see those that are trying to strip Christ of His power, His divine power, understand where that's coming from. And those that name Jesus as Jesus, as Lord, have nothing to do with this. This is the attack from the enemy. Next point. The truth of God will always be attacked because it is a threat to pride and self-rule. I'm going to close with this thought. Now think about it. Because I think most people in this room would say, well, I I don't have a problem with the Trinity. It's not an issue. But the reality is, much of the world, this is a huge stumbling block. They, They look at that concept and they can't wrap their minds around it and so therefore God cannot be what? Cannot be real. And I give them credit on that because at least they say, well, we believe how God describes Himself that this is the authority on that. And as we look at this, he describes himself as a triune God. 
And we can't wrap our head around that, so therefore this isn't real, God isn't real. Now who's God? I am. I'm God. I'm in control. And the people that said those words, that's exactly why Christ went to the cross. And that's exactly why they said those words. Because Jesus was a threat to their way. Jesus was a threat to their power, to their control. Let me just close with that thought. If you want to hold power in your life, if you are the Lord of your life, work real hard. I mean, work real hard. We started with this idea of power. I'm cutting short. I know, when does that happen? We believe in miracles around here. But I was going to take you back to the Matthew passage. I set you up so much on it, I can't avoid this. What did he start out by saying? All authority in heaven and earth has been what granted to me. You don't have that authority unless you're God. You and I don't have the authority over life and death. We just don't. But God does. So this, this thought is why the Trinity is so important. Come back next week and we'll, we'll break that out a little bit more. But the question for you and I today as we walk away is, are we ready to evacuate from pride? Are we ready to evacuate from what? Self-rule. Because if we're not, then we have a little challenge with understanding and believing and having that faith in God. And how God is going to work in our life as a just Father, as a sacrificial Son, and as a counseling Holy Spirit. Let me close today. Thank you so much for taking a priority to worship. I pray you were blessed. Was that compelling stuff? Good. Good. Because I read it all on the internet. I stole it from somebody else. Lots is happening here. Be in prayer. But the most important thing, whether you see things changing or lives are moving to and fro, whatever it is. You know what I was blessed by today? Some of the words Carly said. Talking about the magnificence of Christ. I had a pretty complicated week. And honestly, up until that moment, I couldn't escape I couldn't evacuate from all those challenges and all those thoughts. First 15 minutes of our service today, my mind was just flooded with, I've got to make sure this is happening, I've got to make sure that's happening, I've got to make sure I'm talking to this person, I'm taking care of this situation, I'm doing all these things, right? And then I started listening to that song about beautiful name. And Carly took us into a moment of worship. Isn't worship freeing? When you truly know that God, worship is freeing. Don't get so flooded with the details of the week that you miss God. It's a little nice to not be in control of my own life. But to place the trust in the One who has control of everything. Amen? Amen. Let me close in prayer this morning. Again, if you've brought an offering as you leave today, that's on the, on the left side. If you've got one of these cards, 
with a prayer request, put it in the box on the right side, and sign up for everything, okay, as you leave today. And um, thank you so much. Let me close. Father, to you be the glory, now and forever. You are unsearchable. Who has ever given counsel to God? Who has known His ways? But yet, Lord, You reveal just enough of Yourself that we stand in glory, amazed, drawn to You, inspired. And if we're paying attention, we see the benefits. We see the peace, the freedom of You working in our life. Let us be people who name You as Lord. Let us be people who understand the importance of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and claim that authority walking through this life. Amen.